You are listening to Thursday Nights, Season 4, Episode 132. town city really of revels lift stands all around you as your business as your immediate business in the wizard dumfries tower concluded drewston can get to work with taita working on the uh working to unlock the secrets of teleportation magic, specifically utilizing teleportation circles. And for the rest of you, there's some time to kill, some time to spend taking care of business and whatever else. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing some uh, fast-forwarding time uh, to tell the story of the next few weeks in Revel's Lift, the next few weeks before Mock and Baron hopefully return Mock and Baron and Aurora and Grumbar and Essen. Let's not forget everybody. Headed uh, west. The 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 West Coast crew, uh, hopefully, return. So we're gonna go through about three weeks today, and we're gonna do a week at a time. So we talked about this a bit last week, but uh, the idea here is that we're going to uh, jump forward in time, and this also comes out of our show business, the show that we had discussed. We wanted to. Um, kind of practice more and uh, and get better about letting time pass um, in various contexts. So this is a very focused, you know, one in the town here. So I think we should all see this as um, a collaborative effort to figure out how to how we want to make it feel when we do scenes like this. Um, so I say that to say that. If you're not sure sort of how to express what you want to do in a, in a truly zoomed out manner, let's just talk it out. Let's talk about the idea of what you would want to accomplish or whatever, and then we can figure out, let's let's figure that out. I don't think we're necessarily going to understand exactly how to do it or what we like or don't like in, in these sequences right away. And I think if we remember that let's, let's focus on sort of improving our craft, as it were, uh, as we do this, that I think we'll, uh, we'll have a better, we'll have a better time so to jump into it um revels lift revels lift is a compact of four parishes i'm going to give you a bit of uh explanation of what the town is like um because as we see the map again oh yes please thank you for the reminder let's go and get rid of uh Let's see how we're going to do this. I'm going to unlock the battle map. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to flip it over. Uh, it doesn't did not do what I expected it to do. Get 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 off of there. You know what I'm going to Hey, you did it. Someone did it. Amazing. Okay. Let's just stick that on the floor over there. Okay, there is Revel's Lift. So, uh it's a compact of four parishes. Um, that uh, with the wizard tower as a sort of central 
central landmark there. Um, the parishes rely on each other for economy, security, and culture. Uh, to remind everyone, you uh, while the people are diverse, uh, they share a worship of four gods of the seasons. Um, and the most common people are the humans of Red Step, the water genasi of Lotus Glade, the gnomes of Opal Dell, and the halflings of Hawkthorpe, which you can see on this map here. Um, something that is notable and very present in this town right now is that the seasons have just turned from winter to spring. We're in the first couple weeks of spring here. And the turning of, se of the season is very important in Revel's left Lift. Uh, during the spring, which it is right now, the valley is full of new life. Birds singing in the flowering trees. Water flows clear from the mountains. Um, and this also, uh, this also signals the change in the uh, overall worship of the town to focus on Lathander, the god of birth and renewal. And it represents spring here in Revel's Lift. Uh, what, is, what is being more sunset is Gond, the god of craft and winter, who was shining for the last uh, few months uh, during the winter times. So you're seeing, you're seeing some kind of decorations Ooh, change, and you're seeing, you're seeing a sort of cultural shift as they move into their culture of spring. Um, that is, uh, that's the, that's the high level. We can go into more details as people, uh, want to tell the stories about particular aspects. Um, here's some guidelines I have. So we're going to really put this to the players to drive a lot of this, but of course you don't know a lot about the town. My guidance is this, um, we want to abstract time and talk about what your character is doing when you need information about maybe how that would interact you know, you can ask me and I can fill in some details about the town. Um, but we want to try to keep that high level. We talked about like, we want to make sure we zoom out, right? We, we want to be telling like a story of a week. Um, I realized in talking, I think especially with uh, Dan and Kalen a bit, that I want to relax that, that guidance to be, if, if you want to run a scene, a minute by minute conversational scene that with another player, with someone else at the table that's not me, by all means, please do and go ahead. Like, that's great. You want to tell an important conversation or a thing that happened or something like that. That is, that is welcome and encouraged. What we, what we want to uh, stay away from is you want to walk into a tavern and, and meet the barkeep, and then now there's a conversation with the barkeep. And now it's just a kind of real-time GM player scene. Does that distinction make sense to everyone? Mm -hmm. um, so can you say that one more time just to... For oh, I was saying if you want to if you if you want to run a, a a scene, you know, a real time, not fast forwarded scene, I think it's totally okay if it's solo or preferably with uh, other players, but essentially not involving the dungeon master. Yeah, if we're talking if about we want to get to like our characters doing something where they're getting to know townsfolk or something like that. Yeah. What kind of townsfolk do you get to know? Is it the little guys? Is it the leaders? You know, etc. It's 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 big. It's not going to say, yeah. All right, I'm going to go have that conversation now, right? Um, so that that's the thing we're going to try to do. Is it, it's hard because we naturally fall into, okay, well, you see, the lamp repair guy. You know, going back to a deep mascar example, right? We 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 flowed right into a kind of real time scene, and I think we wanted it to be a little more zoomed out. So we're going to try that out. If it makes sense. To sort of like the guideline is Greg doesn't do any character voices tonight. 
Well, I will also be bringing forward uh, some prompts and little scenes that come from me, so I won't be uninvolved mm. tonight. But in in your player driven scenes uh, overall. But that being said, requests. that being said, it's a feeling. It's it's a it's a proposal. You know, if there's something that, if you realize with the way things go tonight that there is kind of a story you'd really like to tell with that particular you know NPC of the town, and that's important to you, by all means, propose it. Let's talk about it. Um, Alrighty. Cool. So, the days pass following the aftermath of these strange heroes that have arrived in Revel's Lift and within a day cleared out the ghosts that have been haunting the Wizard's Tower and the area around the grounds of the Wizard's Tower for years. And they're gone. And emerging from the tower is a man none of the townsfolk have seen before. The wizard Humphrey Dumphrey. Now in old age, seeming to have almost no memory of his life before. Other than his dear, dear friend, 1369. A great fall from his previous state. A great fall from his previous state. Indeed. She sounds much more pleasant. The townsfolk have no objection to those heroes that cleared out the wizard's tower, uh, continuing to occupy the tower and undergo whatever they're doing in there. The townsfolk have adapted for so many hundreds of years of the wizard's tower is wizard's business. And if there's a new wizard there and nothing bad seems to be happening... It's very easy for the townsfolk to just continue to accept that as a thing we don't really ask about. They like their peaceful, isolated life here, and it doesn't seem that that is changing with this latest development, at least. That's, that's the reaction in these first few days. Who would like to go first? Oh, Dan shot his hand up. Hot out the gate. <clears throat> Spring loaded. Dan, take it away. If people want a particular mood of music during what they want to talk about as well. You can ask me. I don't have it all set up. It's harder to set up in, in this. Uh, <clears throat> this music is fine for now. If I can get some mountainy music in a little bit. Roger. <clears throat> Oil Vane finds himself in the marketplace picking up his favorite fruit, which is a Nunya berry. Uh, is it a jack jackfruit? A durian? Uh, a quince. Uh, I hadn't thought about this. Curveball! Apricot. Uh, Apricot. A huge watermelon. It's, uh, it's uh, blackberries. Like blackberries. blackberries. Oh, nice. Mm, yeah. They have some blackberries in the blackberry. Oily blackberries. That's his favorite surface fruit is blackberries. The surface, surface fruit. fruit. Yeah. That reminds him of the underdark. And the blackberry salesman running the little, the little stand there. Um... <clears throat> You're uh, figuring out how much how much to buy, and uh, the weather turns turns a bit sour, um, and uh, a brisk wind comes in, and even a little bit of hail starts coming down. Mm. And he uh, he says, well, "Glad I brought the tarps out to cover up my stand today. Hard to say if it's a late winter flurry or an early spring storm. One thing's for certain." As he looks towards the mountains, 
The peak up there is getting the worst of it. <laughs> now, your thoughts turn to your brother. <laughs> As you pop a, a bittersweet blueberry in your mouth. <clears throat> uh, could, could each of you, if you'd like to, paint a little bit of a picture with or without Scrimcorn himself involved of some of the unpleasantness that Scrimcorn is experiencing up in them there mountains. Mm. Oh. I would say slides. and then popcorn. Uh, Eric, can you kick us off? I would love to. <laughs> so <laughs> in this particular reach of the tallest, most treacherous mountain, it is the exposure what killed the beasts. And there is just sheer hard granite cliffs. Think about the kind of massive boulders that make up Yosemite. Very few places to shelter and just kind of the the wind constantly howling in and around this area, kind of snow that uh, that is that is dry and unpacked and uh and, and, and bitter chill that beats this uh this particular part of the high mountain. And there we find Scrim, who has fashioned some sort of strange protection out of the ice itself. It seems that he's like frozen part of his body in some sort of masochistic or druidic ritual. But in fact, he knows that in the most extreme circumstances, the druids must embrace that, uh, that nature around them. And by... By, by girding himself in the very ice itself, protects himself from the worst of the, of the chill winds and only suffers that, uh, that, that, that biting kind of grasp of the ice itself. Popcorn to uh, Sam. So it's a horrible storm up in the mountains? But uh, there, that's the setting. Oh, there's okay. music. Nice. Um, and, uh, but, uh, it could be weather, wildlife, uh, accidents that befall him. Any harsh conditions. Okay. Um, with the arrival of spring is also the arrival of creatures from their dens hibernating for the winter. And there are just bears surprisingly a large number of bears for this area. I don't know why, but there's just a lot of bears. And they're all hungry, and they're looking for food. And Scrimcorn's around. And there's a lot of delicate dances with wildlife, and having to you know, deal with animals that are not swamp-themed or insectoid or, like, slithery. They're just big, furry, hangry bears. Uh, popcorn to Greg's and two talks. <laughs> uh, I would say the turning of the seasons, the melting of the snow, and the the ice that is the the, the water that has pooled in all sorts of different areas uh, that turned to ice during the winter and is now thawing creates uh, especially treacherous areas to navigate. Uh, for sometimes Scrimcorn would need to cross 
a small lake that appears fully frozen. And, uh, and in, the, uh, in the melting snow climate are, is the most dangerous time to do so. Who's ready? Kevin Caw. Uh, Scrimcorn finds himself having to uh, deal with bouts of despair. Uh, you know he, you know he's trying to move on from you know his dependence on the witches. Uh, and this is why he's out there. He's trying to find. He's trying to find the next, you know, the next uh, direction for himself. But during those bouts of despair, you know, he, uh, he he sometimes digs a little hole in the ground. And he, uh, you know, not necessarily to keep himself warm, but he digs himself a hole in the ground and he lies down in it. And then he puts the soil and the snow or whatever over him. And sometimes he imagines that baby, that baby from uh, from that, that, that time long ago, not somewhat long ago. Just what it felt like to be that baby, to be packed in <laughs> oh, into the God. ground, to be packed <laughs> into oh, yeah. Jesus, and to be taken away somewhere, somewhere <laughs> that to be taken away somewhere that uh, Scrimcorn does not does not know fully or, or fully understand, but he just tries to put himself in that, and then he you know he snaps out of it because he's Scrimcorn and he's trying to move forward, but he finds himself trying to explore that. You know, how he let those kinds of things happen in his past. (laughs) Incredible. Not what it feels like, not to remember what it was like burying a baby, but what it feels like to be the baby getting buried. (laughs) That's some empathy. Why? Why would they want? That's method empathy. (laughs) Uh, Who's ready? I think it's Kalen and Brakeson are the other ones left. I'm going to go with Kevin is smiling more. <laughs> so I'm gonna go. <laughs> he I looks like he's got... Yeah, he can't choice. stop! <laughs> oh, Kaylin's right. camera is frozen. For yeah, I was like... Oh, that's why. That, I was like, Kaylin is she was very stoic. <laughs> lasered in. <laughs> it's intimidating. I know. I was like, like, oh. Am I ready? Is she ready? Oh, I, I can't read that face. I couldn't tell. <laughs> Uh, it's also a very distracting sunset out the window here. Hard ah, to see. Oh, beautiful. It is just stunningly beautiful. beautiful. Anyways. Beautiful. All right. Hey, so Kevin. Scrim has given up his faith. And to us mortals, that means one thing. To the gods, that means something else. And there's an old god in this mountain, almost forgotten. It is only known by the gnomish and water genasi merchants who risk traveling over the mountain instead of through the valley. Small shortcut. But they leave offerings to this god they only know as the White Shadow. For it just appears in blizzards, avalanches, snowstorms, a strange pale shadow behind a veil of snow and wind. But the pale shadow senses uh, uh, a vacuum niche that it can fill in Scrimcorn, where he is without faith, whether he's searching for it or not. It's like blood in the water to a small god. And at first, the white shadow tempts Scrimcorn, 
through temptations. He, in the midst of a blizzard, there's a pocket of warmth. However, Scrim knows that it's the white, some small god seeking his worship. Does he accept this worship, Dan? No, he does not. The warmth goes away. <laughs> Next, the white shadow that. tempts Scrimcorn with fear. And the next blast of wind coming through, there's a howl that shakes Scrimcorn to the core, and it carries with it visions of dying of frostbite, perhaps losing a toenail. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Uh, Perhaps just visions of being a skeleton upon the mountain, unless he submits to this god. Does he submit? No. Emboldened by these temptations, he refuses. The last is pleading in uh, a very soft but uh, but heavy, uh, not soft but heavy, soft but um, but filling snow. Not a, a heavy snowfall but just blinding, almost like a mist of snow. He sees the white shadow, a massive horned, pale form not anything realized, but just a shape. And its cries this time are not that of a uh, of an angry god or a powerful god, but of a hungry, pleading <coughs> god seeking the nourishment of Scrimcorn's worship. Does Scrimcorn offer this nourishment? Scrimcorn's shout echoes through the mountains as he cries out for the entity to leave him in peace finally on that last day that last temptation the snow clears and for the first time perhaps Grimcorn sees clear skies and knows peace and I pass it finally over to Kaelin <laughs> stoic still stoic. Kaelin um yeah, with with the with the weather clear, uh, you would think that the dangers would also be be less. But a combination of snow melt and fresh rain, and then more snow, leads to uh, massive, devastating landslides in the area. Um, the kind that cleave an entire mountainside off. Um, the the amount of like just destruction and the the power of that uh just it's mud it's mud it's stone it's trees anything that's that's in this area that's managed to cling to this very shallow uh topsoil is just all sloughed away in in like a enormous uh it's not an avalanche of snow, but it is like rocks and dirt and sharp, sharp, like broken uh, branches and everything is just comes tumbling down this mountain. Um, whether, whether Scrimcorn becomes the mud to escape it, or if he just flees, uh, I, I'll leave that up to you, but it is, it, it leaves the mountain changed from a visual perspective from like pretty far off. He flees. He flees. He like runs like a small creature, a prey creature. Scrambles. Sure, he's not. I'm sure he's not alone in that. 
to everyone, Dan. And uh, <clears throat> and Scrimcorn continues his trials in the mountains. Having a bad week. Thank you. That track was the Scrimcorn uh, track from the Thursday Night's original soundtrack composed by Kevin Carr. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin Carr. Sweet. <laughs> Just wait for those royalties to start rolling in, man. It's going to happen. It's a little more swampy than mountainy, but I thought it was the perfect pick for such a stop. That was that was better yeah. than something mountainy. You're, you're one way. Who uh, who's ready to go next? I saw Kevin and Eric's hands go up. Fight. Go Kevin. Go Kevin. All right. Uh, so, uh, Drewson is spending this week um, preparing for his studies of the wizard Dumfries notes on teleportation. So, uh, Drusen being an archeologist, when you go into a ruin that has been cleared of undead traps, um, curses, explosive runes, uh, goblins, and all the things that you just need to clear out of some ruins, you don't just start poking around and being like, oh, that's interesting, that's interesting, that's interesting. That's mostly what the group has seen from Drewston so far because he hasn't had the time and space to really go into archaeology mode. So he takes this week going into archaeology mode. He treats this tower as a ruin, even though it's only been five years since baby and ruin years. Um, he goes about note-taking, sectioning off, um, making sketches, organizing everything he can so that when he goes into one of the dimensional floors of this building, he knows what's there, what category of writing or thing it is, how it relates to other things. And in his notebook, it's this huge, almost like abstract ma uh, map of like connections between these different areas. But he's not doing this alone. First off, he asks Q to help him out. And uh, what happens is he finds Q perhaps uh, in the market or, or somewhere, uh, let's say, in um, Lotus Glade, uh, perhaps walking the boardwalks. Mm -hmm. And he uh, asks Q, uh, would you be up for helping me um, organize the Wizard Dumfries uh, possessions? I know he is nay dead in body, but there is something of the wizard of him that has passed. I would like to be respectful as I, I go through and try to finish his research. I could use your expertise on such things. He says, uh, of course. You say back. <clears throat> of course. Do we... We should learn what the outcome of this tower will be. It has been an important part of the town for some time, and I would be interested in knowing what role it will play in the future. I will help you, Green Wizard. I, and uh, when I am done with my research, I'd love to see this tower opened to the people of the valley. Such knowledge belongs to everyone. So 
he's literally just like organizing for like the first like three or four days. Um, he also asks one three six nine to help. He finds one three six nine with uh, the wizard Dumfrey, maybe in the uh, the uh, house. One two six of the nine has been bird. looking for basically trying to get Humphrey aid in the system. So yeah, probably probably doing something like that. The healing beds, the house of the morning lord. And he asks him, he says, 1369, I'm attempting to finish here. Ah, uh, I want to say master. <laughs> Your old friend's research into teleportation circle. You know the man's writing and his shorthand better than any other, I imagine. Uh, would you be up for helping me? He has written several I would recognize his writing. He writes ease, strangely. <laughs> I would appreciate it. Many of his notes are in such a shorthand that I cannot understand them, but I'll see the same on his shopping list. <laughs> it took several decades until I came back and it's like, what is a, what is a keg? It's like, I, yes, I would be happy to be of assistance. <laughs> So maybe the second day, Q is there, and one three six nine walks in, and he's not commanding them, but he's kind of just setting up his study and asking one three six nine for help and taking tea breaks in the middle of the day. And then the third day, he asks Bearjaw for help. <laughs> he says, Bearjaw, there are some things yes. on the hills that I cannot reach. Will you help me? He cracks her knuckles and says, "Okay, tell me where to lift you." Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love it. It's not Bearjaw reaching it. It's her exactly. lifting up Jerusalem so you can reach like, it. Little to you're, the left, you're the library Bearjaw. ladder. Little, little yeah, the these right. are 60-foot walls. <laughs> like They're huge. And he could there would have been some kind of climb. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just want to reach up to that third shelf, and Jerusalem can't do that. You know, you don't want to move a whole ladder just to reach up to the third shelf. Well, Bearjaw so, doesn't do for now. other people. She... She helps them do it themselves. That's true. Dresden is a dwarf, and Humphrey was a human. Like, yeah. could just be mad. Like, he had no problem reaching those cupboards. Those were fine cupboards. Yeah. Jason's <laughs> like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, but in the evening, so Dresden is spending all day in this and obsessing over it all night. Um, but in the evenings, you know, he was in exile for fifteen years, and he did not get to have meals with others for those years. If he did, he was in like the cheapest meal, at the cheapest table in the tavern and such. So he returns, maybe not all the way up to um, Jonas Lamb's manor, but maybe to uh, a, a house on the lower red steps to have meals in the evenings with the families there. Um, and of course, he invites along Q and 1369 and Bear Jaw to these meals. And he asks, in a polite way, extensive questions about the town's history as far back as these people can remember and their family stories go. And he'll take notes on it in the evening after the meal. But during the meal, he just keeps like delving into oh, what did your great, great, great granny say about that and stuff like that. Just to kind of get a feel for the town and its history, which he finds fascinating. 
Uh, Greg, is there anything interesting he learns about the town's history in these conversations? Yeah. Um, plenty. Many uh, long conversations over, uh, over meals is a great way to learn all sorts of things. Um, I don't know what to latch on to. Um, what, what, what area, what, what area or sort of, you know, piece of I think he's theme. really, yeah, he's really interested in this protective charm around the, the city and the parishes. And he kind of wants to, to dig into the history of that. When did it first start? Does it predate the town? Or did it happen after the town was established? Things like that. Well, he knows that the uh, the townsfolk call them the Standing Stones. Classic name for non-wizards to give mysterious magical stones. Mm-hmm. He went, well, what we know right about them no. is that they're standing right over there. <laughs> so we're going to call them the Standing Stones. I mean, the most rocks stones. aren't shaped like that. Um... I'm just trying to get I just to my notice uh, that notes there are here. stones that go in a circle. Usually they're the city. flopped over, not upright. I didn't know. I didn't see these before. Oh yeah, there they are. Oh yeah. There's oh, like a yeah. circle. They must be they must be enormous. Like are those like monolithic kind of things? Like they're just I want them yeah, to be is is that to abstract map. They're big. Every map. single yeah. one of them to be the size of the Statue of Liberty. Uh, they're very, yeah. very large. Every one well, of them. Ruin every one the of landscape. them is the size of the Statue of Liberty. Every one of them. <laughs> so you can towers. tell where you are based on. It's a huge on like hunk of a mountain, like torn out from the mountain and put there. It is. It's beautiful stone. Um, that charm has to be really strong for people to not be like, we really got to check these rocks out. So yeah. the ring of standing stones is widely believed, uh, and some of the and 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 lightly verified by some of the uh, more arcane inclined in the town. Not that the town has any other major wizards, um, as uh, as being the source of the magic that causes the uh, causes uninvited uh, uninvited visitors to not end up arriving at this town as you all experienced directly the town uh believes that humphrey uh humphrey dumphrey built them although he uh he built them long before anyone here uh was around although wait hang on am i getting it my my lifespans of various uh races mixed up i think gnomes live for a while there are few that uh would even be old enough to verify this but the stories go that even back then, when Humphrey Dumphrey was setting up uh, here, that he was secluded, secretive, and while he may have brought these stones here, he didn't—he wasn't out there with a rope and lassoing them and pulling them over. They were just appearing mysteriously. Um, but Justin, uh, Justin's been around the block enough times; he can hear all the telltale signs of a wizard that simply doesn't want people scrutinizing uh, uh, what he's doing. And as these, uh, as these stones appeared, the town became more and more secluded. And then now, the second oh, of the week... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. I was going to advise that we try to keep it to, like, one main thing. But, you know, you know actually, you know, yeah. keep, keep, keep going. 
just second half of the week, he's got everything organized. Uh, he just starts doing his research on teleportation circles. But I like the idea that maybe Q, maybe 1369, maybe Bearjaw have a habit now of just like dropping by the tower, see what's going on. And Drusen always takes a break and has some tea brewing for them. That's Drusen's first week. So for Drusen's first week, I'd like you to roll an investigate check to see how, <coughs> excuse me, well, um, how well Drusen is able to get all this information will determine uh, kind of some of the uh, extra information that you're able to suss Any out. Any modifiers to the rule? Uh, it's a it's an investigate check. Um, You've got plenty of people assisting you. That was explicitly part of your story, so go ahead and oh, yeah, that's uh, true. And get is there a target? Get just a help. To vibe to uh, it's a how much you're going to get. There's there's a lot to learn. Um, so this is more about it's more about bonus um, bonus. Plus, how big is your school? Something where exactly. yes, I get my um, I get my passive, or is it only yeah. an active roll? We decided to not do the only active thing, right? Okay. We, we we talked about it, and then we decided that it undervalued uh, that feat. The investment. It, and the feat is expensive. There, uh, uh, 16 plus 8 is 24, which is 1 over my passive. Well, there you go. 24. There's a lot to go through in the Wizard's Tower. This guy has a lot of books. A lot of books. <laughs> even in a week, even with all the assistance, Drusen can't get through all the books. Not even close. But A quarter portion. A big part of what Drusen knows how to do is spend his time efficiently in, in, in ruins, right? He knows how to focus on the, the, the important parts, the things he would want to take away. You know, Drusen's spent plenty of times in a place where he knows any minute he's going to have to bolt. Right, dangerous places where you know you've only got an unknown amount of time, and he's mastered the skill of focusing on the highest value. And through that, he's able to um, deftly pluck out the books that are all pertinent to uh, this research that he's undergoing. And what Drusen finds is something odd in his research. Um, the research into teleportation circles is there. There's volumes of arcane theory and ritual theory and uh, um, and metaphysics and uh, all of these different principles that would go into developing uh, or redeveloping an entire majorly powerful field of magic. But what he finds is all of those notes dry up starting about 75 years ago. And there's a shift. There's a shift in what he finds in the volumes that would have contained further research and, and, and Drusen's phenomenal investigation. He finds the exact volume where it switches. He's scrawling and he's writing about uh, some of his latest findings. And he goes off on a rant. He fills six pages in this book about the pains of being just one wizard. And how... Uh he says, my, he writes about his prolonged life, you know, being, uh, uh, being a great asset to, uh, to those that seek to do great things. But, but that 
but that he is still only one and that there is no other individual in uh, in the world that could possibly uh, keep up with him as an assistant uh, except for himself. And as he continues to, uh, this is just a rant. This is just a rant about his frustration of not having enough hours in the day, not having enough days in the week, not having enough days in the year. And that's when the research shifts. The very next volume is a new field of research building off of the teleportation. He says, he writes that he could, he could adapt what he has learned so far about teleportation and, uh, and switch it to instead of teleporting the body to teleport the very essence of one's being. And uh, as, he, uh, as he writes further, he starts beginning to explain his theories about the possibility of, uh, of duplicating one's soul. If one can be teleported, if one can be moved from one place to another, then why couldn't it simply be put to the other place without ever leaving the first place? And thus begins more and more and more volumes. Uh, I assume Drewston more kind of takes these in for understanding, not necessarily reading them in thorough detail, because they, as mm-hmm. they go further into that research, they seem less and less applicable to the actual teleportation circle, although there's a lot of principles here that are connected. Clearly, it makes sense that he shifted his, his goal from this to that, and finds that that was where his research went. It went, he believed that he could duplicate himself, that he could create copies of himself to assist with his own research and further uh, and further his goals in that manner. The aftermath mm. of which you witnessed in this very tower just days mm. ago. Hubris. And seem. Taita says, I had no idea he never led on. I will do a little Taita explanation because it dovetails well from, uh, from Drewston's which is Titus spends that week also in the tower assisting Drewston. Although her assistance is less helpful than perhaps Drewston was hoping for. Um, and it's mainly because Tita com- repeatedly enters bouts of frustration. She's less one for tabulating all of the books and reading all of the things. She starts with some experimentation, just small things. She finds some of Humphrey's, uh, Humphrey's stuff trying to uh, understand what he's done. And she continuously, uh, uh, as, she's, as she's operating these and performing small rituals, she continues to yell about, uh, about getting used to this body and, uh, and not being, knowing how to manipulate this and, uh, and, and the, the channeling of energies is just not working the way. And, and the whole week, is spent with her just trying to do her own thing. And you just learn to tune out her outbursts as she is, uh, as she is doing all sorts of different things, even reading the books. And she, she would say that it's taking too long, uh, taking too long to get through and, uh, not completely dissimilar from some of the frustrations that Drewston's currently reading in one of Humphrey's books. And, uh, she doesn't join for dinners. She does for one of them, but she's just continuing to work the whole time and into the nights when she's not recharging. 
That's tighter. Who's ready to go? Ready to rock. Eric is. Eric. Throughout this first week, you find that you all in various circumstances are bumping into Quellet. Um, the, the chance to bump into Quellet in the marketplace by Drewston Green uh, works well with Drewston's uh, plans and, and, and need for assistance, but the fact that you are all bumping into him starts to kind of like work its way back to the group, and it seems like he's maybe around more than you might typically in a, in a town such so large as this. And uh, after a few of these chance encounters, well, it finally gets the, the, the courage and invites you all out to spend an evening with him at his favorite tavern, The Fading Light. Is there anyone who would object to this uh, <laughs> evening of revelry at one of the local establishments? If 1369 is invited, it will come. He is. It is. Most genuinely. One of the few times that Taita leaves the tower is in response to this invite, almost angrily saying, I guess taking a break might help. Uh, Quellet is, uh, encur- encourages this line of thinking and is seeming and is somewhat pandering, not, uh, not rudely so, but pandering to whatever might get you all to come out and spend a little more time with him. But he seeks you out each individually. And in uh, hopes for your your presence, um, and and the night appears as marketed, a, a wonderful night of revelry. We get to the fading light, where you know, cheerful uh, tavern keepers and bar barmaids, uh, we won't say wenches here. That's not really the vibe you got. Uh, <laughs> are serving drinks, and there's there's many uh, a large variety of patrons, good food and cheer, and as and the light goes on later. People don't seem to be leaving. This is a this is a <clears throat> a place of community meeting. Uh, and several he, drinks are placed he, in front of one through six nine, but none of them are ever touched. Yes, <laughs> they are placed. Uh, and the, his his non engagement doesn't discourage people buying him drinks or offering him ale or food. And as as perhaps. Yeah, some questions are circling about the events of the tower. I mean, there are no more spirits. Maybe like there's a few heads that are turning. Um, but overall, this is like a very cheerful place, and you know, you're hearing kind of local colloquial things being said, like, "Oh, you know, he's fading like the light when they're getting a little too heavy, and you know, have to be escorted home." Like, you just—it's that kind of vibe. And uh, what we have here is a bit of a skill challenge for. Quellet has brought you all here for 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 a purpose, but uh, and and he will reveal that. But to what degree you're able to learn? Hang on, we lost you. Went funky. <clears throat> Sorry, oh, I'm hearing that. that yeah, it's back, back to back to normal. Maybe you were covering okay. the mic. Yeah, it could be. I'm having that uh, happen occasionally. So. Um, yeah, de- depending on how well you perform in this one role, it's not some big series. Uh, it will will will, out, will influence how much you learn uh, about this uh, his his intentions, his desires, and who he is from this week and specifically this. Um, so, uh, as you guys interact with him, 
I would say let's kick a roll and figure out how you would like to do, gain some information from your evening out with Q. Let's, uh, I, I would say uh, someone volunteer a, uh, a, a, a skill check and then we can add some flavor and just give a roll. Um, I think it might be beneficial if you're staying more sober than Q is. Mm. Uh, just because you're going to catch things a little more effectively. You're not going to get taken off-road onto a tangential conversation. You're, you're going to be better able to identify what's a what's a good lead, what's, what's actually going to get you information, and all of that comes down to, I think, being uh, more coherent, I guess. Maybe that's not the word, but I'm not being coherent, but... Let's, the... let's do it. Should we do a constitution saving throw? And I'd like to do it like... Basically, we have five people here, right? Five mm -hmm. player characters. I would just say, like, successes. So, uh, you know... Five out of five is a great success. Three out of five is a success. Less than three is not a success. How about that? Everyone rolls independently. Con saving throw. DC uh, DC 15. Okay. Are we, are we all going to roll at the same time? So it's everyone that's uh, taking part here? Yes, everyone yeah. is taking part here, please. Yeah, and, and six out of six. Sorry, Greg, I didn't mean to say five. Absolutely tight as well. Well, tight not fails. Oh, you're Dan's, not. Dan's not. That's here. right. Yeah, that's cool. I knew. That. I thought there was five. I'm sorry. So <laughs> five. Twenty. Beautiful. Oh, is this with advantage because it's against poison? Are we drinking alcohol? We are Ooh. drinking alcohol. And <laughs> oh, I never take thought advantage. of it that way. Only dwarf please take advantage bunch. on that. <laughs> Except there's a friend of the dwarves here. Uh-huh. Oh, that did not help much. Uh, let's say I got a total of 12. Okay. I got a uh, oil got 25. Amazing. So we got... Uh, 1 through 6, that? 9, we got 16, because it also has advantage against saves against being poisoned, and I don't think it actually drank anything. Uh, both of those heavily relevant, uh, both narratively and physically. So there is, there is success uh, in this in this evening and uh, or in this adventure. Would anyone like to add some flavor as to how this plays out? How do you remain meaningfully more sober than Q? Oil vein. Uh, I know I rolled my Constitution uh, saving throw, which is I have a plus eight. That's wow. also the same amount for my deception skill. I have a plus eight. So uh, <laughs> I'd like to add that oil vein. He's gotten pretty good at pretending, trying to fit in, but pretending that he's been drinking a lot. You know, it looks like it, there's the appearance of him accepting a lot of drinks. What actually happens to that drink is a matter of question. Uh, subsequently, sometimes you see Snoot... Uh, Kind of wobbly walking around. <laughs> <laughs> <In the back. laughs> one and just kind of puking in the corner. Just uh, oh wow! But it's God. like it's all just liquid. Drunk it's, as a duck. Oh, yeah. He's just drunk as a duck. 
fuck. <laughs> you know, it's that's just how that works. So that's oil vein. He's completely sober. Yeah, and uh, liver. Oh, go please, please, please. Nope. Oh, I, I, oh, I didn't know. I thought you were gonna add something more. Anyone else that wants to add a little flavor to the uh, one three six nine is not drinking any drinks, but is often holding them and engaging Quillet at length about subjects of souls and like what's the difference between a soul and the animating spirit mm. and uh how like meat based life forms generally like this is just sort of like a way station on their way to their everlasting thing like that and how all that works and he's very basically talking about your whole your business and he's very open about that please go greg Taita. Not much of a help here. She gets smashed. Uh, <laughs> drinking through her finger straws. Riding oh, off no. of all that uh, days of frustration in the, uh, uh, in the wizard tower. Uh, but what ends up happening is... Other bar patrons in this place are interested in her. She's weird. She's another golem. Kind of like 1369 by appearances. Um, but she's drinking liquor, which... Probably the regulars in the bar know that they've never seen one three six nine do, and uh, why they hilariously always buy him a drink or two. So they she starts so funny every She time. starts indulging them because she is also new in this body, and she is curious what the effects of heavy alcohol consumption is. So they start comparing and doing different physical trials. It completely gone from Q now. She's just like in the bar. Like they'll be like you know doing like one hand. One finger to the nose, alternating as they like walk in a straight line. And the things that Taita can do perfectly and can't like she doesn't slur her words at all. Her speech is not changed, but she's much more. Uh, but she's speaking much more freely with a lot of information and rambling, but not. But there's no like actual slurring, and and uh, you'll hear her say things like, "You people are all right for surface people." I feel like. I know you all very, very well, and that we could be best friends. Um, <laughs> this that is an illogical here. thought. I know that it is, but I still feel a great kinship with you, with you all, in fact. And, yeah. uh, and that's just going on <laughs> now the rest of the night. I am so, so very inebriated, you hear her say on more than one occasion. <laughs> Sometimes, sequentially. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, uh, as the sober of those patrons remain and engage and, uh, and, and ask you some more things, as I mentioned before, he's very open about kind of the knowledge related to his craft and, and some of his art. But you find him extremely cagey and and reserved, uh, talking about himself as a person, you know, really what he does outside his business and, you know, where he maybe has come from. You, he's very cheerful, but, you know, deflective and deferent and will change the subject. And, you know, maybe you're catching another angle of how he applies some of his formidable persuasive and de de deceptive skills. Um, but as kind of the, the night wears on and, uh, you know, the patrons in the bar start to thin and the, the, the drink cups stack up, he uh, comes closer and says, Can I tell you the truth? 
That depends on you. I wasn't just... I wasn't just hanging around that tower coincidentally. The, um... I have a job, and I'd like your help. The... The town of Revel's Lift has from time to time... Hmm. An appearance. A presence of... The undead. Those malevolent spirits from beyond or for the or or a presence of those those malevolent spirits that have yet to depart or refuse to depart it is uncommonly regular here which is somewhat related to my presence here and he uh he uh, asks he explains a bit more and he says my arrival at this town some years ago was not due to my my craft the the more the, the the healthier day job that i have of supporting those in need who are transitioning and grieving but because of the my 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 darker purpose to rid the world of those malevolent spirits that would destroy and who would attack the living who would sully the, the the healthy flesh and convert it to that which is spoilt and i was drawn here to rebel's lift it took me many years to find this place but i knew that there was a source of some of these necromantic forces and i was drawn here because of it i have Wait, for some saying that sorry Please. You're saying there's a necromancer here? No. I am confident there is not. Yet from time to time, there is the presence of these uh, unrestful souls. Ang angry spirits. You can never be confident that a necromancer is not present wherever you go, for that is the necromancer's greatest trick. He leans back and he's like... She says from across the bar and then continues scrolling on some parchment on the floor. He leans back he's like, perhaps it is a necromancer, but it's been... it's been years. I've... and there's long periods of quiet. Months go by. Years. But always returns to the arrival of these spirits. Uh, uh, something that I cannot quash. And there is yet such a presence now that I would that much desire your help with. Will, will you help me? I. Thank you, Green Wizard. I would be happy to be of assistance. He said it. I do not know how I can help, but if something needs crashing. He looks at Verja and he says very seriously, things need crashing. <laughs> she smiles very broadly at that and raises her mug. He says, we must prepare a, a, a journey next week to the large, largest of the islands in the middle of Lake Mulsantir. He said, the time you must be right that is sensitive to the phases of the moon. He says, prepare, prepare yourself for next week we will take this journey. Thank you for your help. Thank you for joining me this evening. He drains his cup. And unless there's something else that will be asked of him, he departs. Mm, Drewston, could you check this 
math for me. Aye. <laughs> Tristan comes over to see multiple pieces of parchment strewn about on the ground in the corner of the tavern, and she see he sees uh, a bunch of sort of charts of wavy lines, and she says, I'm trying to build a mathematical model for the undulation that I am observing in the floor. It seems to be irregular and affected somehow by the passage of time in a non-predictable fashion. Well, think you've left out a factor. <laughs> and that goes on for quite a while, for however long Justin will entertain. She'll, she'll she entertains me for a while. <laughs> I mean, hey, you get to see how someone's mind works in a very unique way. And he kind of enjoys the power dynamic, too. <laughs> I mean, Drusen is not sober. He did fail his constitution saving throw, but he enjoys knowing more about the effects of alcohol than Taita does. <laughs> uh, let me see. As this first week carries on... Many of you that spend time outside of the tower notice that the children of Revel's Lift, their games that they play, and even their uh, the games that they play seem to have taken on a theme of emulating these new strange visitors to their town. Uh, you see them at one point playing a game that features large teams of ghosts versus a small contingent of busters. Busters of one, one child strangely dressed as a marshmallow man. You're not really sure where that comes from. <laughs> pillows. Pillows just all over. Odd. Odd. Uh, let's see. We've done everyone but uh, 1369 and Bear Joe. Think, and uh, Yeah, I haven't really. Oh, sorry. But we did. Oh, I called on Oil Vein for Scrimcorn's uh, thingy. Thingy. So that's why I was thinking that. Uh, which of you three? I can go if no one else. I'm not particularly prepared, which means I can ready go anytime. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, <laughs> Bearjaw's uh, Bearjaw's week is is a little more simple. Uh, she spends a lot of the time in and around the tavern, not not for drinking per se, but really just the social interest seems to be really high there people there are more people there who want to ask questions or hear stories and she's really into that she's also into feats of strength and inevitably inevitably there's always someone who's like well can you lift up that table she'll be like showing showing up like yeah i can lift that i can lift two tables you want to stand on that table while i lift it Uh, you know like there are injuries absolutely um you know just just and she tells the stories of like everything they've been up to. She's kind of Drustin like in that way, but not in a philosophical way. She just runs her mouth, you know, telling oh, every, cool. you know, like, and this tattoo means this. And, you know, she just spends a lot of that time during the day uh, interacting with the people as a, it's almost a diplomatic place to be. Because she's she's singing their praises, uh, in her way, 
Uh, whereas some people might get a little green in the gills hearing some of their tales. Um, but she doesn't hold back. Uh, and then in the evenings, most of the time, where you would expect her to maybe hang out more at the tavern, because that's when the lively action happens, but that's not, she's not there. Uh, she disappears into the woods pretty much every single night, only for very specific events. Is she actually still at the town proper, like for this event with Q? Uh, but every other day she she's gone she's out in the in the wilderness she doesn't go in the same direction as where scrimcorn went she's kind of picking like the opposite side of the mountain ranges and she's she's gone all night and almost always returns sometime pre pre-dawn but still like around that time the coldest time of the night uh and she just makes such a habit of that that you can actually expect that of her any particular night does she come back with meat no no she's definitely caked in mud and dirt and uh you know she's clearly been roughing it out there Mm. uh but no she's not coming back with anything Hmm. um i could go next same if you're still thinking about I can go now, give you more time to work on it, because I don't have much to think about, because I don't really have a lot of ideas. But it's okay. Um, So 1369, his immediate concern is for setting, getting Humphrey some attention, medically, I guess. Uh, That seemed to be what everyone was expecting it to do, when they said, oh, go, go get him some help. And... One through six nine took Humphrey off to where? Where does one go in this town for medical assistance? Um, there was a temple of a uh, something rather mentioned by Kevin. Is that we have some temples? He had mentioned the House of the Morning Lord, um, oh. which Kevin, if you can Lord? remind me, is that the that's this one? Morning yes. Lord is actually oh the Morning Lord. The Morning Lord. Why, Lord. Why don't you explain the, the House Lord. of the Morning Lord, Kevin? Uh, it's a temple of Lathander, but also a house of healing and medicines where they mix elixirs and unguents and potions to heal various ills, ails, and injuries of the valley. Fascinating. And um, being, it, a, being a temple to uh, Lathander, that's when I said is yeah, kicking up. Yeah, that's spring. Yeah, there's a lot spring of acti- there's a lot of activity there. I mean, one three six nine's lived here a long time, but yeah, the the turning of the season is a big time for the House of the Morning Lord as decorations are changing and people from all around the city are making you know day long journeys to here to sort of pay their respects at the beginning of the seasons, and that's still that's happening actively uh, as you're doing this. Yeah. Um, so I imagine the first issue is 1369 shows up and needs help and they're happy to give it, but then there's always the question of a donation or payment or that sort of thing. And so 1369 marches on back to the tower and like asks Tita and Drustin, like, hey, do you know where his money is? He just <laughs> always handed it to me before. Or do you have some money? They want money. Uh, <laughs> Oh, go ahead. You got something? Oh, Jason's just going to give us money from his little money belt. He says, I 
I'll have money for you. You were uh, so helpful in uh, taking uh, uh, rescuing of this tower. Well, any money you want, just ask. Because he is in charge of the group's money. Thank you. I may call upon you again if necessary. Huh. Uh, yeah, and so most of his week is getting Humphrey set up. And, I don't know, can, do, do people stay at the house of the Morning Lord long term? Or do you have to think about, okay, I have to find Humphrey a house you, to live in. You tell, me what you, set, you tell me what you set him up with. I think that's sort of the thought is uh, he's starting to look for other places to live because Humphrey said it didn't he didn't want to live where does he in settle him uh, or where does it where does it settle him where do he, Humphrey is a human right or at least passes for human one through six nine notices that he's lived lived longer than other humans usually do uh, yeah he's a long-lived wizard but he is human by all appearances uh, so maybe uh, the town with other humans is that red step that is red step Okay, so looks for a house in Red Step and figures, okay, well, he, it's gonna, he's going to need a nurse and a cook and probably a housekeeper and an actual house. And, uh, and so then comes back to Druston with, like, basically I need a money to run a household for like a year and to buy a house. Yeah, uh, Jason... Just gonna give him uh, two skyables. No. The mic will play. Uh, Tristan has. Uh, he just gives him four thousand gold pieces, which is just oh, in Drusen's stuff. That's just Drusen's money. He says, "Here, this will hire the best you need." Gives well, a little chest of Don't 4, spend 4000 on just the nurse. Would you mind saying a little bit more about why he just hands 1369 4000 gold pieces? <laughs> yeah, he has 4962 gold pieces which okay. are organized into I assume kind of like bags of a thousand. So he looks at his bags of a thousand, one bag that isn't quite full, and he just ties like a big ribbon around the four full bags that he has. Uh and to him right now, he's so in-depth and research and organizing that this gold weighing him down. He has no need for it. So if it can help whoever crafted this amazing tower of research, he's all for it. And he likes 1369. And he knows that money eases troubles. So just hands it over. Gets rid of it. Thank you. Uh, this seems this like a very moment. large sum. I don't believe I've ever handled quite so much. I just... You kind of tell my cousin <laughs> when he gets back there. <laughs> uh, so I do not believe I have had the pleasure of meeting your cousin. Is he likely to <laughs> return? Uh, that's a hope. In uh, about a week, two and a half weeks' time. I see. And one through six nine goes off setting about a household for a old, unwell man. So with four thousand gold, which is enough money to set somebody up, if your minimum is one year, that's enough money to set someone up as nice as you would like. 
but he doesn't necessarily have to go for the nicest possible thing money can buy. I don't what imagine... Does, what does he end up setting up Humphrey Dumphrey in? A, a, uh, imagine like a, a nice, humble cottage, like something you'd see out of some like Better Homes and Gardens magazine that it's like, you know, adorable forest cottage that's like enough space for maybe one to two people to live in or something like that. And yeah, up there and humble basically gets them nice. all comfortable so that one through six, nine feels a little uncomfortable with the added familiarity that Humphrey has been sort of taking on. They know each other well, but it's more like we spent maybe 20 minutes talking together every day for 150 years. But the rest of the days, we weren't talking at all or interacting really at all. <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> but 20 minutes a day for like 150 years is a lot. You know a person pretty well. But none of the conversations are particularly in-depth or long. So spending like a whole day with him has been a bit odd. I mean, it's happened a couple of times. He's like, is this... Is this going to be the norm? It's not a fan of this idea. It feels <laughs> it doesn't uncomfortable. Like it. Familiarity is annoying. <laughs> All right, so he gets set up in a yeah. modest, yeah. Uh, modest cottage. Cook, uh, cook, nurse, basic needs taken care of, prepaid for a year. We'll say I don't know if, if four thousand is. A dramatically larger amount in this world than for as long as that'll pay for. Maybe set up an endowment. Uh, then yeah, I like that. Is they set him up with Is an there endowment? Banking? Sets him up an annuity. Uh, yeah, the the uh, the he ends up. You know, he's originally dealing with. He's originally dealing with the with the kind of. I don't want to say the lower folk, you know, the people that, that might handle some real estate here uh, in Red Step. But eventually he does get the attention of the more senior house members uh, that um, that hold the power in Red Step and end up uh, working with them to set up a to set up through their banking system, set up a uh, an endowment. I think the like end of thing ends up being like an in-law unit at like the back of some larger noble families area and so they're just using their own help and all that kind of stuff exactly and you've got it uh, set up and maybe they said, it was that guy who once was uh, at the very beginning greeted the party members what was that dude's name Jonas Lamb oh, yeah. Jonas Lamb yes that okay Jonas thank you Lamb. that was the name I was going for Jonas Lamb ends up yeah uh, assisting and getting him set up I like it like in the in the the in-law in-law um, cottage attached to one of the large estates and yeah. uh and Jonas uh, assures you, said with an endowment this large, uh, I don't remember his voice. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be set up for the rest of his life. I'm certain, as long lived as that may be. <laughs> also, just increase the notoriety of Jonas Lamb. Now he's the caretaker of Humphrey. Yeah. There, there wasn't. There was a, a note of that. There was an interest in. You're bringing him here. You want him to live here, like it's it's stature. They're they're taking care of the of the man who, who, you know, made this city have its way of life. Somewhat notorious individual. (laughs) At the next city council meeting, he'll say, "Like the retired Howard Hughes in Vegas." Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Out of the goodness of my heart, I would have done it a million times, but I did it, and now I need help supporting this man through subsidies from the government. Like anyway. to establish my house as a historical site now. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to pay taxes anymore. 
I think we can all agree. <laughs> I do it in a heartbeat. But come on. That's one three six nine's week. Oh, I love it. All right. Oil vein. Uh, so oil vein, he spends this uh, this first week. Uh, you know, he there are times when he gets a little bit uh, depressed because uh, a significant amount of his friends or a significant amount of this party has left and gone to the other side of, uh, you know, gone gone west, and his brother has gone up to the mountains. So he, you know, he his mind now that he's had time to relax, you know, like they were pretty occupied in the wizard's tower, but now that things have quieted down, he finds his mind kind of like, you know, going to that fact that, uh, you know, he there's people that he misses right now. Like you know, he knows that they'll be back, but he's he's thinking about his friends. Uh, mm -hmm. But he hasn't forgotten that he has friends here as well, so he tries to at least spend some time with them. You know, like. Maybe not necessarily talking, but just kind of being around them. He also finds that, you know, he, it comforts him to to use the spyglass and to just kind of watch them from afar. To just know where they are, that they're still within the vicinity, that they haven't left as well. Um, he's also very curious about the newcomers, you know. Uh, 1369, he's, you know, he, uh, he often goes on trips to the market if need be, or... You know, I think that's how he discovered blackberries. It, I feel like that's a fairly recent thing, him enjoying blackberries. And uh, he perhaps eats too many blackberries each day uh, to help him. Every day? Yeah, every day to help himself not <laughs> think about it. <laughs> he, you know, his tummy hurts sometimes. Um, but I can um, imagine yeah. like an underdark person looking at blackberries and like, ooh, that looks like a nice savory like bug nest, egg nest. <laughs> and like you bite it and you're like, oh, why is it so sweet and tart? It's expecting like salty and savory. This is vile. <laughs> he salts his blackberries to to try to yeah. get the full effect. <laughs> um, but he talks to Q at, at times, or he attempts to. Um, but I think he finds his conversation conversations with Q are, uh, you know, there's a lot that he doesn't know there are also a lot of long pauses and long silences in their conversations. Let, let, let me ask, what do you talk to Q about? Uh, sometimes it starts off as small talk, and then, and then I. But part of it kind of just uh, shifts into just like there's a certain comfort level because he realizes that Q is as is a haunted one, is also someone who is haunted, and. He finds comfort in that that he doesn't that neither of them have to explain anything. That that there is kind of this this uh, vacancy in their stairs, and it, like it, the it remains like surface level as a way to just like distract themselves. Yeah, and so it's like you know maybe he might be curious about some things, but he doesn't necessarily feel the need to to dig deeper. He just I think. And maybe that's a little bit, you know, and a little bit of uh, oil veins, you know, somewhat naivete or of him just kind of assuming that, yeah, you know, he has a lot in common with this person and that he doesn't have to, like, ask questions or find out more. I'm just getting the sense of, like, two war veterans that were, like, in the thick of it. And they're just, like, they get together to talk about the ball game and, like, the weather and just, like, you know local politics but it, they never once acknowledged the 
horrors of that past time, <laughs> but are yet connected by it. There's a lot of like, n- like quiet nodding and just going, yup. <laughs> and looking off into the distance. That's a lot of his interactions. I feel like with Kira like that. And I think he's a uh, oil vein is, is, is okay with that. He's a, uh, that. And Kira doesn't have like booming business, right? It's not like he's got like a week full of appointments. Like he has that, but there is just time waiting. Hmm. Yeah. He, he's just out and about in the town. So yeah, he just, uh, just lounging around sometimes hanging around. Um, yeah. So he's, you know, he's, uh, he's, glad to spend some time with the the newcomers um but usually at nighttime he also kind of uh decides to uh with snoot in hand uh explore the forest at the foot of the mountains in the direction where scrimcorn left he knows his brother's coming back but sometimes he finds the need to kind of you know perhaps he could he pictures his brother uh lying in the dirt at the foot of the mountain perhaps in need of some kind of assistance. So it's not necessarily, it's part, part fear, but all, you know, part sense of, uh, of, of brotherhood. But he, uh, he, uh, you know, he has his spyglass and, and his dark vision ready at nighttime, just keeping an eye out for when his brother might come back or might need something. So that's how, that's how his first week went. Greg had to take the dog up. <laughs> I was taking the dog up, but I could hear. Um, thank you, Kevin. Oh, thank you. As Top of the initiative order. As we move in to the second week, several shops have begun to capitalize on uh, this growing fervor of the excitement of these newcomers to the town who have not just done something huge and dramatic, cleared out the haunted tower, but they're sticking around and doing something new in the tower. It's got people excited. The children are are ramping up the complexities of their games. And uh, some of these shops sell various symbols and figurines that bear the likeness of the newcomers. Even uh, even some of the newcomers that had originally left, word has spread that they're expected back and that, uh, that they'll be seeing them all soon within a couple weeks. Um, so they've got these different uh, figurines that bear likenesses with different degrees of accuracy. One blacksmith shop uh, that you notice even sells a war-forged uh, figurine for 13 silver, 69 copper. The one who would like to go first on the second go round? Dan. <clears throat> Actually, you have to give me like one second. Give me like two seconds. It's been two. So, uh, <laughs> how's I'm going to get a beer. One? I think he's peeing. If I had to guess, gonna, he's I'm peeing. I'm going to take a pee too. And two seconds is a, uh, that's a, that's an ambitious target. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, Dan's back. Everyone else left. Ah. Oh, you got your corn pop pipe. We didn't. No, you said two seconds. Two seconds elapsed oh. and you weren't back. We thought maybe you were That's peeing, true. so a couple people went to go pee. Well, I needed to go get my pipe, and then I forgot that the other thing I have in my D&D box is this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> still, still angling, huh? Uh, just, just 
Just getting ready. Just, it's just a, a, there, an odd odor is starting to come from it. We we very, did write the year he's allowed to you open it on there, right? It? Just, did we remember uh, to write the year he's supposed to You were to supposed to be putting food in that. Just a little bit of kibble each day. Um, uh, <laughs> should I, ju- should I uh, hold him? It's Eric. It, both Eric and, and Oil Vayner are missing gotcha. currently, so you should... Uh... Give him, give him a second. The I was just gonna try to add something to the flavor of the figurines, but I, I can't think of anything. The one three six nine figure has been a perennial seller over the years in town. Fully articulated. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because it's you know it's been around like. It comes with a miniature shopping list. People are always fascinated <laughs> about the wizard and the tower and all that other stuff. And they, and he was their only sort of living, or it was their only living connection to what, what whatever was happening in the tower. Yeah, it'd show up. Um, a lot of people who are now older recall playing weird games with 1369 when they were children. Like, you know, tag and... Occasionally, you might see it joining in with the children playing Bust the Ghosts. <laughs> Bust the Ghosts. Bust makes me feel good. I like good. it. He's playful. That's a good property. Uh, all right, Dan, take it away. Scrimcorn. Early in the morning, on the 11th day, because we work in these weeks or 10 days, aren't they? Yeah, ten the days. weeks are 10 yeah. days. On the dawn of the 11th day early in the morning <clears throat> scrimcorn does descend from the mountains uh is so oiling goes over there in the in the evenings but he doesn't like stand watch kind of thing right no he moves or, around, yeah. around quite a bit okay. and yeah i mean he's usually not he leaves by the time light breaks so um, he might not be there that's fair early in the morning not at dawn not at a dramatic time but just uh early in the morning Descends from the mountains and uh, comes into because these are because the, these are the edge of the uh, it's the Sunset Mountains, right? Was the, the name of them? No, we did have the, a spot on the big map that we had yeah, picked it's out. To the, that this it's was. to the east because it's not the mountain range in the middle of it. It's the Sunrise Mountains. Sunrise, sunrise Mountains. Mountains. I always think it's the Sunset Mountains. You said the Revels um, is somewhere around here. Perfect. Right. Um. And so the sun does rise from us. So they have a late morning, actually, because the sun's always on the mountains. He descends from the Sunrise Mountains and comes in here and um, and and uh, does kind of his his the 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 scrimcorn move of just you know going to some able-bodied uh, uh, peasant person and and offering um, a stupid amount of money for a simple like gopher task and says give you, give you five gold if you can go find my brother and bring him back to me he's the one with the oil arm just assuming that like they're still here and that they're known kind of thing and that's kind of how he gets things done in civilized places and um he uh he he I I, I you know he, he meets up with people and <clears throat> And um, the first thing they notice is that he's uh, he's wearing some some animal hide, some bear some bear hide, um, 
from uh, from some of the bears that are uh, overpopulating the Sunrise Mountains. Um, uh, he's uh, he's he's a bit torn up. He's got he's got scratches and cuts from uh, from from landslides and uh, and also the bears. Um, <laughs> Bear burn. And on his uh, and you see on his on his uh, he's kind of re- remade his foot wraps and stuff like that. He's got on on the backs of his uh, each of his hands. And then on the tops of his feet, he has a little like crudely done self self done tattoo prison tattoo um, nice. of uh, of some small animals. So on each of his arms and legs, there's a there's a bear, a salmon, a stag, and a hawk. Um, these uh, these these animals that he has now adorning his body. And you see that his left hand is bandaged up, and he's missing. He's missing some fingers on that, on that some. hand, some, um, and uh, and How many? so he's missing three fingers of his from his three? left hand. So that means ones? he's only got just has a lobster claw. Oh my god! Finger he's guns. great at doing this. He can't flip people off, but he can improve morale. Um, and uh, how much is missing? Like and it's down completely, uh, or like to there, or like. like Oh, and then a little bit of the bones on there, Whoa. and uh, I mean, that'll buff right out. And he and he uh, he assures his his friends who, after they you know gathered, he says, <clears throat> "I'm fine, I'm fine." He says, "He says uh, it's the morning time, so he says, <clears throat> tonight, tonight we will all, we will all, I'll tell you all about it. But for now, let me let me rest a bit." And he. Uh, goes uh and uh goes to some general shop and just says you know does this thing again where he plops down a hundred gold and he says there's a hundred more that you can get together a bonfire and a feast for as many as would like to come uh over in he he got he knew the the map of the place over in the lotus glade and uh and basically goes and and uh and rests for the day and then in the evening there's a giant bonfire and it's not like every person in the city is is there people have have lives with the you know any that are interested to come by for for a bite and there's a big a big burning pyre and uh and and uh he he pays he throws some money to to make some some music some drums some uh some delicious foods happen um, and uh, and uh, talks to his talks to his close friends. He has he he has not met one three six nine. Thank you. He's not met one three six nine Kulet, but um, but as we've as, as you look very different from your brother. Um, <laughs> I he got all the good looks, and uh, and which is accurate based on their difference in charisma. And um, it's true. And the he, fingers are not helping. But he's not. Uh, but he's not hesitant to to welcome um, these these friends that has that the facets of fate have added in because we've kind of talked about how like the facets of fate have gone through a bunch of stuff in a short period of time and people have added in like at bringing in Aurora and Essence like that like it's not like we've been together for years and years and then people came in. Um, so the idea it's been that, a lot. 
like but it's his, been short. His brother and Dressen and Bearjaw trusting two two people. Scrimcorn is like, you clearly you got past the interview. So um, so he doesn't he doesn't hold things back. It's so so there's not like a I'm gonna tell my story only with only with the three of the people here. Mm-hmm. And at the bonfire he uh, he actually I'm just I'm not gonna fully roleplex that rather just um, he tells about his time up in the mountains and he talks about the bears and the avalanches. Can you and set the, a scene for us a little bit? What what does this turn out to be? Like uh, how is, what, what what's the size? What's the setting? At this point, what, 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 what's the what's the, li- is, the lively? It is sitting not around the bonfire is is huge. So it's sitting near the bonfire. We've already we've uh, maybe already eaten and now it's and now it's time for drink and uh, and pipe smoking and. Uh, he tells he he basically assures his close friends he, that he would tell them about it and and to to not worry about him and and he's is a warm embrace when he sees his his friends again uh, immediately but then in the evening he uh, he tells a story and so there's some some music going maybe some uh, of the townspeople are doing um, some some dances to the to the music a little bit um, of a hoot nanny a little hoot nanny um, uh, it's not like a witchy it does not have a witchy um, uh, scary like stuff being thrown in the pyre to make weird smoke kind of stuff. It is much more of a uh, impromptu like, like he didn't. This was not like a built up for kind of festival thing. He just said, you know, I'll pay for food from your food stores, put it all yeah. out. Your your um whatever's left over from the winter for your your fires. Let's burn that wood here and. Uh, yeah, and he tells his story, and he talks about the the uh, the bears, the the weather, um, the landslides, and uh, and the tough times of just getting through, getting through the time. And he and he holds up his hand, and and he, and he says, "The mountain took some fingers in the form of frostbite, though the irony of losing one finger for each witch is not lost on me." And uh, and he said, <laughs> "I just needed to, just needed to find a way to listen to the forces that I've been drawing power on all this time, not really realizing I was going through a middleman or middle women." And uh, I think it's. He says, "I feel like there's been a a swamp rot in my lungs, and I needed the chill air of the mountains." To freeze it out of me. Bearjaw's nodding like, yes, this is correct. Bearjaw's like, that's standard (laughs) medical. That is normal. That is a normal experience. (laughs) What do you say, Eric? Yeah, she's like, that's what I've been saying all along. That's what I'm saying. Why didn't you do this earlier? And and he he nods with like a resolute and he says, I'm ready for us to finish this Amberhelm business. He does, and he corrects himself and says, "What once was simply Amberhelm business." And uh, yeah, um, uh, does does what is does oil vein? I want to do a full once around kind of thing, but but does it's oil, <laughs> oil veins? Oil vein. Uh, after you tell the story about losing the fingers and during the bonfire, he comes up to you. You know, he walks up to you, kind of a little gingerly. And then he, all of a sudden, his face becomes really serious. And his, uh, brother, when you first showed up, missing your fingers, I almost thought Ted got here. 
And then he has a big grin on his face as he as he says that. Without a hearty chuckle. <laughs> oh my no. gosh. It says. No, no. It is these. These were given a bit more willingly, I think. No plans to try to grow them back through any rituals or magics. I respect it. Uh, I respect it, brother. You know, if there's uh, anything that could have made you look a lot more grim, you you found it. Grimcorn. <laughs> That's <laughs> my name will be Grimcorn. Just, it's good to um, have you back, no, no, no. <laughs> Are we noticing that Scrim, in fact, like, doesn't have, like, the hacking cough in his lungs? Like, is that, li- did he literally cure that condition? Um, uh, no, no, I, uh, I... That was an I, interesting line. I have not yeah. been, I have not been doing that. Uh, that is right. how he describes Were you feeling. cured of your tuberculosis? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm, yeah, like Sam says, I'm not hearing it, I'm just trying to read between the lines. That's fair, that's fair. Uh, uh, I've been, fall- I have been falling down on that. Uh, no, that no, was no. not it's... my intention. Uh, but... Now I almost wish I had done that, but that's, that's, I feel like I have my the missing fingers and the tattoos on. I appreciated the suspense. I was like, "Whoa!" Is this... <laughs> no, no, it's 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 still around. Okay, it's, the um, it's still around. That that the personality of Scrim maybe it's is, like is you know the, the wasabi. You're clear for like a few days, yeah, and those, then the, like back the in the lowlands, comes right um, back. His he got the his, big he, lung full of that bonfire smoke. He, he exactly <laughs> takes. Ah. It. Oh, it's back. Um, so those homemade tattoos done? Yeah, yeah, these were very clearly they're crudely done. It's like a it's like a stick figure of a salmon, <clears throat> a bear, a stag, and a hawk. Um, and uh, he uh, and he says these <clears throat> and he and talk about them. He says these are the animals of the druids. He says they <clears throat> they've granted me their protection and. Uh, and he looks he looks like satisfied at at, uh, at his artistic ability to capture each of the animals um, but he, he hasn't come down like a totally changed personality he's not like super enlightened kind of thing he looks more uh, just steady resolve and uh, that the gloom that has been over and since before the septicemia fight is all gone hmm. and he has access to his magic again nice oh nice Turn complete. It doesn't have to roll saving throws, Dan hopes. No saving throws. <laughs> Let's take the rock. Pass Dan's like, break. I stopped playing Scrimcorn for three sessions. Is that is that what you <laughs> needed, Greg? <laughs> is that what you want from Please. Me? <laughs> Let my people go. Who would like to go next uh, for a week two thing? I, you know, and... and uh, yeah, yeah, who would like to go oh, next? I passed it to Breakstone. I see him here, by the way. So, Drewston has spent... 10 day getting things organized in the tower. Now the true research and experimentation begins. He has Taita there, maybe occasionally uh, 1369 sub spy, Q sub spy, but Drusen has less time for them, and the tea is cold by the time they arrive. Uh, Bearjaw comes in and you know, Jusen thanks her for, for lifting him up to get a book. Um, but he seems almost starting to get a little obsessed with this, taking tons of notes. In fact, he moves his tent 
into Humphrey's tower and start sleeping there nights. But uh, the night of the bonfire, Drusen sees Oilvane. And he says, oh, Oilvane, could I get you help with something? Yeah, sure uh, thing, Drusen. What do you need? He says, oh, I'll notice you have a bit of a an aesthetic flair about you. I think you've got a good eye for what looks good in the world. And uh, he shows Oilvane some sketches of a tower. First, maybe he assumes it's Humphrey's tower, but it is not. And he just kind of uh, asks Oilvane what he sees, what, what he thinks could be added to this tower to give it a more artistic flair, something a little more dramatic, perhaps something from Oilvane's experience of the Underdark or his travels or just kind of his natural inclination. Uh, and it's a tower he's going to be raising soon. What does Oilvane oh. add to the the design of this tower? Oilvane was, uh, you know, he was a little bit distracted because you you complimented him on his his taste, and he was like staring at his clothes for a little bit before he uh, realized that you had asked him an actual question. And then he's he looks up, he's like, uh, mm, you know, I mean, a lot of the play, the architecture where I come from Skullport, you know, sometimes there's a bit ramshackle, sometimes some of the evil wizards that live there and sorcerers, you know, they had some maybe pretty gaudy looking towers there but, you know, if I had to really think about it, I can't help but but picture you know, the kinds of things we saw in Deeper Mesca, you know the style of that place, it looks so solid you know, not quite dwarven. It had a different feel to it, but just the lines of that place, it looks so so new. You know, it's like something I'd never seen before. So I feel like if we if we saw something like that, something like what the Deep in Mascari did, if we had something like that up here, that might be pretty impressive, I think. He hands Olvain a bit of charcoal and guides him in making some alterations to the plans. So thank you. And over the next week, something odd happens outside of uh, Humphrey's tower. Uh, maybe kind of uh, a little bit inland is uh, each morning um, the the a new floor of a tower appears. Hmm. At first, it's just kind of a big square building, and then a second floor appears. And then a third floor appears, and finally a fourth floor. Uh, and just as Oilvane had planned out, it's kind of in the the brutalist, almost like um, uh, uh, Blade Runner style of architecture <laughs> of Deepen Block. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Jerson is continuing his research during the day, but by the end of the week, uh, seeing throughout the parishes is a donkey wandering about and when people get close enough they hear a voice coming from the donkey saying I'm Duma the donkey are you curious about the relics and ruins hidden in the recesses of the earth follow me to the reliquary and the folks who follow Duma find a four story tower open to the public the bottom floor of which just being kind of a reception area and there being 
three floors on top of that. The second floor being dedicated to uh, creatures of the realms above and below. The third floor, adventurers across the realm. And the fourth floor, tomes of tyrants, texts of transgressors, featuring the flying book theoretical reconstitution, which flutters about in a cage hanging from the ceiling of the tower. Amazing. And uh, the Fire Lord? Is the tower located near the wizard tower? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's like a, a walk from the wizard's tower, maybe like a ten-minute walk from the wizard's tower. I'll put the uh, reliquary in a, in a link in the uh, uh, the players only chat. Here. Uh, so again, Drusen is not seeing much. He is doing his research during the day, and then at night, uh, setting up his reliquary, and it just kind of appears in the town. <laughs> So, uh, Greg, what else does Drusen learn about teleportation circles as he just gets down into his research? Roll another investigate check. Ha ha ha. I'm going to use my inspiration. Good call. There I am. Where's my D20s? Should we change our music to something oh, related? thank you. That oh, was, yeah. uh... Mm. That was... I meant to change that after We're his scene. all in the swamp. <laughs> Never not swamp. Uh, what's your roll? Oh, you're rolling it now. Okay, here we go. We got plus eight to this. That was a terrible roll. It's an 18. Two and 18. 26. 26? Hot dog! As Justin pours through the research, doing experimentation, trying to understand what's here, Justin Justin begins to learn that Humphrey Dumphrey was very close on the now in wizard research context, but he was very close. He's seeing that this rant he's gone back and reread it because it's where the last of the research the last notes was this rant about not having enough time it wasn't spurred by he's so far away from a breakthrough it was just the random ranting of a man bemoaning not having enough time in his life it seems to have little relevance to the actual research of teleportation circles and Jerusalem gets the impression that in those 75 years he developed this other thing if he had done teleportation circles he would have he would have cracked it by then. He was he was close. Now, close is different than can you finish it in three there. weeks? Uh, <laughs> and but Drusten has the assistance of Zolmar's uh, Zolmar's uh, magic yes, as well, right. which was one of the reasons that uh, Drusten and Taita thought that they could crack it. And by starting to apply, that was the time themed guy from Skyclave, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The bad dad. The bad dad. That's right. <laughs> um, the chrono, so bad. Wizard, was it wizard? Mina's dad or Rose's dad? No, I can't remember. It was Mina's dad. Mina's, Mina's dad. dad. Um, so, 
by starting to cross-reference between Zolmar's, uh, Zolmar's spellbook and the research that, that Drusen has uh, tabulated and probably reconstructed in different forms in his own writings and experimentations done, mm -hmm. he's seeing that this all does add up. It is as he and Taita had hoped, which is this research is compatible. This is these, he can, he can continue. He can continue this research without a doubt. What he could really use, what he could really use is just another set of eyes and hands. And Jerson thinks, what if he could split himself into, cool. no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> another set of eyes and hands. But Taita, meanwhile, is not helping with the teleportation magic. And every time Drewston asks her, she says, I just need to finish some of my own projects here, and then I will lend assistance. I promise it will be worth the time. And she has been disappearing into the town. She has been coming back with like sacks of stuff and doing work and grabbing spell books. And like, she's got her whole own little arcane workshop in there that's doing something completely unrelated. As she uh, as she is continuing to uh, continuing to work on this, so Drustin gets the distinct impression that unlocking the secret is not just possible but probable. It's a question of how much time is it going to take him at this point. There is one thing that's bothering Drustin all along, is that this teleportation circle without a great deal of extra research, will only work on the plane that it is on. You know, the material plane or the astral plane or whatever. Yeah. But it's on dimensional floor five, which is its own plane, its own pocket plane, as to the best of Jusen's measurements can, uh, can determine. This, of course, doesn't deter Drewston because Drewston knows that uh, Humphrey Dumphrey was clearly a talented arcane researcher and wouldn't have made such a grave oversight in constructing the original circle. And it's Drewston's excellent investigation. As he decides to expand out a bit, get a little more understanding of the nature of the floors of this tower, because that must be the, the key behind why is this built on dimensional floor five? And he finds that there is something, an arcane... Uh, uh, an arcane wave of the hand and a magic word spoken at each of the desks, those entry desks by the front door on each floor. And when he does it on arcane floor five, can feel a, 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 a drop just for a moment, like the, like, like cresting the hill on a roller coaster. Um, as he feels just a sense of weightlessness and then the weight returns. Nothing clatters on the shelves. Seems to have only been him. And then as he steps forward, grabs the front door and opens it, it leads out to Revel's Lift. And that's how Drewston discovers the secret of the five floors of Humphrey Dumphrey's Tower. And each, they can be reconfigured to have any one of them be existing on the material plane. A great oh, asset for dimensional research as well, being able yeah, to move the true. entire teleportation circle from one place to another. Ooh. That's pretty cool. Excellent. Turn Very over. Cool. Eric. Oh, oh, so let me continue Taita here, since oh, we're now we're kind of concluding yeah, Jason's yeah, thing. Taita was actually next. 
as Taita spends the whole week working on this. Until finally, one day, Drustin is working. He's in the tele he's in the ritual chamber room. And he hears Taita call for him. Drustin, if you would come here, I'd like to show you something. I Taita. As Drustin walks out, he sees atop the desk, the entry desk, right outside the ritual chamber room. I guess we could actually use the map of the tower when we're in there. Um, he sees uh, an ivory-colored contraption, three curved arms that uh, uh, that narrow into uh, narrow into sharp tips. The three tips holding up. A, uh, a pearl-like orb on top of it, and it floats upwards and glows as Taita's voice emanates from it. And she says, I think I have solved my problem of the limitations of my physical body. Are you back in orb form, then? In a manner of speaking, it's not as sophisticated as my experimentation center, but it will do for now. I have taken the liberty of placing one on each of the dimensional floors of this place and ensured that I can transfer back into my golem body whenever the need should arise. Uh, but I do find myself much more comfortable in this form. I have already begun to run some calculations based on the research that you have begun, and uh, I expect you to uh, feed me much more that needs computation. I am ready to go. Well, Court, I'm glad you found a form that fits you tighter. Isn't that just life's journey? It is, isn't it? We have a ship's computer. <laughs> and will start reading his research into the Taita orb. Dictation time. Who would like to go next now? I, I can I call go next. on Eric. I can go next. Yeah, absolutely. Late is in the, is the hour. Um, on let me the evening. Sorry, sure, before please. you start. Um, no so worries. we are at. It's a time check. We got 35 minutes till the end here. So it's seeming unlikely that we'll want to do a third go around. We just don't want to have time. So what I'll say is in doing your kind of week two things, if there was something that you wanted to drive towards, make sure that happens, probably do it just in the second week. And in fact, we could call this the next two weeks because we already decided yeah. we only want to do one session of this and then move on to the West Coast. So call it, call it. This, this will be the final the, block the of Quillet. Um... The hour is late, and the, the small waves of Lake Molsentir lap at its gravelly bank as you all come together at the designated time to assist Quellet with his, with his task of removing malevolent undead forces for the town once again. He thanks you for, for arriving. A nod to Scrimcorn, who he was recently introduced to, and who had made the same proposition and invitation, which he assumed was accepted, because you're here. 
He says, uh, I thought to ignore the problem mm, out here on the isle, it being somewhat separated from the town. The, uh, the force has grown, and it is fortunate to, uh, to have made such powerful acquaintances as yourself. These are angry spirits, full of memory, and they tend to attack on sight. Let me be clear. We are here to destroy them. But if there is something that we can learn that might give us more understanding about their presence, their regular appearance here, I am still attempting to to solve that puzzle. Though I've been here many years trying to do so without gaining much progress. Are you ready for battle? I am prepared. He withdraws a a, a pewter horseshoe that is uh, kind of tarnished with uh, with with kind of a black crust. It's very dull. Whispers a small word, a few words, and a, a, a rich kind of uh, nether language and horses, phantom steeds of shadowy energy appear to bear you across the uh, the waters, the dark waters, and he says, best way to travel, I can assure you, but only for a few hours, so let us make haste. And he mounts. I can away. take care of, well, no. Yeah, he mounts. It mounts. Ah, uh, gestures you to mount up and proceeds to gallop across the waters towards the isle. Is there more setting that uh, anyone would like to uh, contribute, including Greg? And I'm uh, I'm venturing out into a part of the town that maybe there is more to be said about, or uh, the 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 lake and this isle. Is is there something maybe to maybe that's been pre-established, or can we take license here with what this is? I, I would say take license and mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, take take license, move it, for, move it forward, uh, you know, quickly. Perfect. With uh, you can you can abstract uh, indeed as much of the explanation there as uh, as you want. Actually, I'll have some fun with the movement stuff on the one three six nine stuff. It decides not to mount and then shows off some cool moves. Yeah, because we're doing this at night, right? And yeah, dark cool moves. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yes, the cover of night. As uh, all y'all are riding magical steeds, and it is just running across the water, and then teleporting from one place to another place in the dark. It's, and it, it's, it does some weird shit. When asked, it explains these were gifts given to it by its creator to more easily traverse the Underdark. The Underdark? Danbox 6K. To where he was created? I was where created was by Tida oh. in the Underdark. Right, Point. right. Um... <clears throat> Uh, uh, just to set the scene, well, as we are uh, riding across or running across, uh, perhaps just fallout from all the magical experiments, or perhaps just a natural, beautiful phenomena, there's definitely some bioluminescent life uh, in this water. So oh, as we are making pretty. ripples there, we see little, little bits of shimmery. And as we arrive at this isle, a sizable crag in a very large lake, we find it covered in the in the in, in the droppings and guano of seabirds, or I should say, lake birds, birds of uh, 
of the water. Uh, it, uh, and the pungent smell washes over us far before we, we arrive. But uh, as we near the shore, we begin to see hordes of kind of misty, of translucent beings that seem to kind of be emerging from the depths of the water or appearing out of thin air on the banks. And he says, ah, there seems to be more yet. Prepare yourselves. Now we get to make a collective attack roll to decide how well this goes. I love it. <laughs> Everyone gets All to right. roll. And uh, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to do uh, DC 15 success. Uh, well, so this is a harder fight. We're going to go. Is there anything between 15 and, and 20, Greg, or does it just jump in terms of five? Yeah, there's um, five 16, 17, 18, and 19. Mm. I well, see slow, is this an, an attack bonus? There are no rules like for I mean, basic are, attack roll. I thought, I thought there were preset things about like hard, whatever, blah blah blah. Well, hard but, is um, twenty and moderate is fifteen, but there are also those are five, general step, there are f- five steps in between. Yeah, for sure. Cool. I, I haven't. Uh, so we're gonna say seventeen. This is a, this is a tougher fight. It's a good. It's a good um, dude, call it call it hard. Call it twenty. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna go that. I'm not gonna go that. This is uh, and this and similarly three three uh, is a success. <laughs> Less than three is a failure. Five, super success. Shake it up, shake it up. So it's oh, Drustin, Bearjaw, Scream is going. Oilvane and yeah. three six nine. Oh, so it's the whole. It's the whole. And, and, and Quellet. So a better chance yeah. of success uh, of getting that five. So it's everyone but Taita. Yes. Scream rusty. Not as rusty as Bearjaw. Do we add anything? Oh, no. What do we add? This, this is just an attack roll. So it's your it is spell to hit bonus. Yeah, yeah, spell oh, attack okay. for, for those who have. All right. Oh, that was so close to a 20. I rolled a dose. Uh, 18. Uh, who who made 17? Uno. That is a yes here. I had a two. 26. Uh, we did, uh, Quella did not. Oh, wow. It's only two there you then. Go. Well, only two. Um, this was, was an unexpectedly difficult encounter. <laughs> due to the, the, the numbers and the scale of this undead force. And we are rebuffed. We fight all night and we diminish their numbers, but are driven from this island. Hmm. Say, say, say briefly what you contribute and how you fail. Scrimcorn summons a massive swarm of very tiny mosquito kind of things. But the, 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 the moisture of on top of the lake and then combined with maybe just like the thick mist from this undead force is actually too much humidity. And you see them just kind of just get heavier. You see the whole cloud of them all around us just get heavier and then eventually just all fall all at once uh, into the, into the stuff and the, and the bug swarm is, is completely eradicated Eradicated and scrim is left naked. (laughs) <laughs> Not enough bugs. Justin attempts to counterspell the magical nature of the ghosts as they attack back. There's just so many of them. Even as he sends their spells back in time, just more start flinging out and overwhelms Zolmar's hourglass. Um, Berja is a, a bulwark. I... I unstoppable like object of, of protection she takes up so much damage 
that would have gone to other people, but uh, ultimately that's all she can do. Uh, the damage doesn't happen the way she was expecting it to. I think it must be a combination of their speed being incorporeal creatures also just like the hammer blows don't nearly uh hit on uh on ghost bodies the way they were back in uh in the wizard's tower and she she basically trained on ghosts there there so uh <laughs> wrong kind of ghost this like i guess training. this isn't like that and uh yeah so she gets the shit kicked out of her like takes a ton of damage which for her is a is a that's a win but she wasn't able to then deal it back to them, uh, so they, they aren't diminished nearly as much as, as she had hoped they would be. I'll save uh, uh, Quella for last, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, 1369 kicks some ass. Runs all over the place, punching ghosts, teleporting through the darkness. and uh, But it's just one being, and there's a hell of a lot of ghosts. And uh, it, while it can move around a lot, it's not dishing out huge amounts of damage. It's not like, you know, laying out swaths of ghosts here and there. He's stunning some, and others just, you know, he's tearing apart their life force with its magic with his magical fists. Uh, but there's only one, there's only so much one magical man can do. Or magical so being. One, three, um, six, nine can do. Yes, there you go. There we go. Thank you. Uh, Oil Vein, uh, he kind of manages to find a little bit of a high ground off to the side from uh, where the uh, party is approaching, and intermittently, in the dark, you just see like what looks like uh, almost like a flare just fly up into the sky. And then like it lights up the, you know, some of the, the clouds and the mist. But then, as it but then as it starts to fall, it grows bigger and bigger, and forms into a fireball that just lands on all these clusters of of ghosts and spirits and you know of the horde. But you know, it, along with bolts of lightning that just arc across the field, but they just keep coming. You just you know he they keep coming out of the out of the. He can see them kind of forming in his dark vision, out of the edge of his dark vision, just through the trees and through whatever crevices. You know that's you know that are that that surround the party, and you know he's trying the best as he can, but he's using a lot of, you know, he's he's trying to leverage that staff of power as much as he can. Is, is, is he gonna break it? Yeah, well, <laughs> well, the, 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 the question is like if he actually uses all the charges, like I have to roll a d twenty. Is that something that I don't know if we want to do that? Did you, you did you use all the charges? Um. Oh, I want to say yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. I want to say because dice. you know it's uh, the fact that we did not succeed too. Ah, uh, so true. if we had succeeded, okay. okay so there's some stakes here. I'm, I'm just gonna say one thing I love about abstraction of time is that Justin spends four thousand gold and Oilvane uses all the charges in his staff. I like how he's <laughs> making us go roll the dice. So I got an. Let's see, I got an eight. Okay, so uh, you're rolling fine. Oh. Yeah. What was that? It's just It's not yeah, a one. Nothing, nothing happens. Eight. Yeah. Uses so. all the charges, but doesn't shatter it over his knee. Yeah. <laughs> he he tries. Q's his new best friend. Yeah. Like on a one, 
If uh, the staff retains its plus two bonus to attack and damage rolls, but loses all other properties. So I think it would just... Wow. That's That would suck. But anyways, that's... Okay. Well, Y'all come in... skin in the game. Y'all come <laughs> low over the water, like freaking dive bombers, you know, and just carve your way into this island of, of uh, malevolent ghosts, uh, pushing your way kind of deep into their mists and pressing them back with a vicious initial attack, but as you have all described, kind of swarmed uh, and surrounded, kind of, are the ghosts recovering? Are we fighting the same enemy again and again? Uh, we're just one man, as one, uh, as one, we're each just one amongst so many. And Quellet drawing forth his shadowy blade from his shield, and throwing kind of dark, shadowy mist tentacles, kind of chanting in strange languages and trying to throw barriers where he can, uh, using all of effect, the effective techniques at his disposal. And as your efforts kind of climax, you're able to reach a moment of standstill where the, the fight breaks. And in that moment, he sees the opportunity, like Aragorn beneath the mountain, to speak to these undead. And he beseeches them. He beseeches them. What, what binds you here? What, what, what disturbs your rest? Why not, why not go to your ancestors before you? Continue your journey. But there, the, the words, the entreaties fall on deaf ears. And with, with vicious, vicious regret. And, uh, and I would say more like what, what strikes you as claustrophobia. They just begin lashing out, lashing out at each other, tearing one another apart and then overwhelming us, pushing us back down to the beach and then off into the, into the, the distance. We were forced to, to make our own way back, forced to, to swim or to run, to flee by whatever means necessary, back to the town of Rebel's Lift. And that, that last week, rather than investigating a, an important site crucial to unraveling the mystery of Quellet, you have spent that last week nursing your wounds and recovering from what could have been a calamitous fight where our lives were on the line. Thank you, Eric. Excellent. Uh, we've got uh, three people left. Bearjaw, 1369, and Oil Vane. Who's got a story to tell? Uh, I've got one. Unless you really want to go. Go. No, all you. No? Okay. Um, somewhere in between week week two and week three, uh, Bearjaw comes to, uh, to Scrimcorn. And I, I don't know how much convincing it takes, but she, she basically is like, I have something to show you there and she she points to the mountains Grim says ah thank you for drawing my attention <laughs> ah yes you're very funny come on and, and she uh corn obliges basically drags him up the mountain for like the better half of the of that day um it's it's like a long trek you get really deep in the woods yeah, you know, the canopy is really dense and it gets dark and 
you know, there's birds tweeting and stuff, but it's like, it's still post rainstorm, snowstorm. It's, it's muddy. The foliage is like all over the place. It's, it's, it's not great. Um, and the, the scene gets, um, it's darker and denser in these woods and you start to notice like tracks of animals getting a little more like big like larger larger animals and um she leads you to a glade that is uh you know really off the beaten path here uh and you see in the middle there's this enormous like elk carcass that's like it's maybe a maybe a week old it's got like most of the body has been dismembered by something it's uh it's it's an absolute like gore fest uh you know some something had a really good time here and she says you missed your lunch <laughs> she laughs and she says someone else did not and uh she she sits him down and she says just wait here they will be back soon and Maybe maybe a minute later, you know, you quick. you start, you know, for real, for real. She's got this thing like figured out. She's getting uh, ready to sl- settle in. All right, okay. Settle in. A minute, a minute later, now, you know, like time passes, uh, and you see uh, some some shifting shadows in the uh, in like the forest line, and what emerges is this large, ex- like really big kind of stocky creature with like shaggy dark like brown fur it's got this huge wide round head uh and it doesn't take long when it when it enters the glade you see that this is not just a bear this is a dire bear this is you know something something that if it stood up if it stood up it's maybe 10 feet tall uh, and, and it's kind of chuffing and grumbling and making those like little annoyed bear noises. Uh, and then you see two regular sized bears scamper out as well. And Scrim does the thing where you're trying to be quiet, but you just like grab someone. You go. Yeah, she, and she nudges him and she says, take a look, take a look. This is the mother. Her den is not far from here. But this is where they've been spending their time. And she says, and she says, this is the bear for you. And she, she nods to his little tattoo, his little bear tattoo. And she says, we will, we will be here and we will watch them and you will learn the bear. Scrim. And not sure. Go ahead. He's not sure what to think of it. Nods. Okay. And and yeah, and the, and the and the time passes there as as they watch this animal like just living its life, and she's she's like, I've been tracking it for mm, almost almost twenty one days now. Uh, it took me some time to find them, but I knew when I saw it that this was the one. Dan. You I'm may trying, now, I can't get out of the scrim corns for You may now open the oh bag. Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> I, I that has been lurking I behind dare. you. I had to move it because I was worried Franklin was going to knock it off. <laughs> he was getting belligerent. 
Sixteen. Um, I didn't dare to dream. <laughs> okay. Okay. okay it might. Take. It might take you a little bit. I wrapped it very, very thoroughly. Okay. Got an unboxing. See it. I've been careful with the bag because it did not feel the heaviness of. Oh. Oh. What it's... do you have there, sir? This, uh, Kalen gave this to me, uh, to Dan and Scrimcorn. This is also from Finn. <laughs> it seems to be fastened by some sort of wire. On his birthday, right? Back in this June. This is my birthday. This is it's from my June. This is birthday present. This is from <laughs> back June. In, back in June. And I did not know what to think. It felt like the weight of a mini, but oh my god. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Oh, you got some snow there? Okay. Oh, and snow that's on the, the snow. That, that's okay. some snow. Oh, that's, cool. that's some snow bane. Okay. Yeah. Scrim corn. Okay. Let's see. You'll have to take a picture later. Oh, that bear is definitely oh, a big fucking bear. This is the snow. <laughs> the snow and then the base has... Oh, my God. This that's guy awesome. is a chonker. <laughs> oh, my God. Shit. Look big at that. Boy. He's a big boy. Uh, Very cool. Chunk, chompy boy. It has been an agonizing wait for me <laughs> as well. Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge size mini, right? I believe that's it is. That's huge. It's a three uh, by three. Yeah, yeah is, I wasn't kidding when I three. said it was big bear. Oh my god. Okay. It's we got a new challenge rating unlocked. Uh, new challenge rating for you. Okay. Bear mode. Scrim thought that he was here for a hunt because it's bear jaw. But uh, as the time goes on, Scrim... Like goes from like watching like to hunt the animal to watching to just see how the animal lives, and uh, oh, this is awesome! Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, and studies studies the animal carefully. Bear, the bear, the bear, the bear. That's a big bear. Yeah. Kill bear. <laughs> Scene. Sweet. Uh, I would. I would say during the second week and or the yeah third week, uh, oil vein. You know he still he kind of continues his routine of hanging out. You know hanging out with each of the his party, uh, his friends. Uh, but you know he's kind of he also tries to make up for lost time that his brother was gone. So he hangs around his brother a lot, and he's trying to like paint a picture in his own head too of like he's piecing together some of the little uh, anecdotes that Scrim. He doesn't. He doesn't gather all of the Im- the information about what happened in one sitting. He gathers it just from just uh, little bits of conversation and anecdote, you know. So he he enjoys the idea of piecing it together, and kind of, uh, you know, he's a uh, he likes hanging on to it, hanging on to those little pieces, and and uh, you know, which also means that he gets to spend more time with his brother too, just being like, you know, he's hanging on every word, I should say. And um, that's uh, how he spends his uh, is that those those following weeks. It's good brother time. Yeah. Brutal. Bro, uh, hold down. One three six nine uh, visits Humphrey every day uh, for short visit, but every day. Um, and then a lot of the rest of the time is, I don't know, get to know all the rest of the new people a little better because I don't know they seem interested in going back to the Wizard's Tower and seeing if 
Justin needs anything purchased. And, uh, and then just, you know, having fun, jump, jumping off the top of the wizard tower and running through the woods and <laughs> playing games with people. And, uh, one of these nights going off with Barajaw into the mountains and showing her cool places that it knows a nice mountain peak where it likes to sit and wait out the night while it stares at stars. Cause it doesn't actually sleep. It just sits there and waits for like Constantly. six hours. Yeah. Wow. Personal time. The young folks have begun to emulate the hero's dress and style. Some in part, some in full. Everything from bear jaws, bone pauldron to oil veins, uh, spectacular summer robe. Even Scrimcorn has his emulators, although none of them seem to pull off the grime look with as much dedication as the original. Mm -hmm. They're not living it. They went on the mountain. Amongst the old, amongst the, uh, amongst the older folks, there's, there are some that um, have expressed more suspicion than ever. It's mostly uh, these older folks uh, who see what happened to Humphrey Dumphrey and are certain that the man was fully cognizant before the heroes arrived. It doesn't come to any sort of head, but you can't spend a lot of time in the town without sometimes hearing the comments. You have haters wherever you go. In the middle of the second week, uh, in the middle of the second week, a large man, by a, a tall, a very tall, uh, sorry, hang on, hang on. Just kind of large. It is an awkwardly huge human. He is like really, really tall. Just one of those really like huge people. You're just like, holy shit, that is, there's just towers over everybody. How does he compare to Bear Job? Are they, why, is he wiry? Is he stocky? He's, like, he's, a, that's few the inches, he's a few inches shorter than Bear Jaw. Yeah. Um, that is an enormous human. Another race. Or does he seem like. pure human? He seems pure human, but you know, he looks odd simply because it's outside the parameters of, of what's just like a Mao Zedong. Not Mao Zedong. Basketball player who's just humongous? Yao Yao Ming. Yao, Yao Ming. Ming. I had the, the right cultural. vowel in there. Somewhere. Yeah, you had the yeah. It was the right oh, right <laughs> syllable cadence. You, the, you feel like the cultural revolution? The no, but he uh Mao Zedong was at one point Bearjaw is just uh walking throwing down rocks. Throwing rocks. She's throwing, she's when he throwing rocks. Walks up to her and proposes marriage suddenly <laughs> and awkwardly. He says, "You are the most beautiful woman I have ever seen in my life." That is probably true. And I would like to spend it with you and yours with me. And are you accepting marriage? Uh, at, this time. at this time. <laughs> that, that's, that's a rough delivery. Berja! Oh, man. She feels that's, bad for the guy. Um, all heart. That's all heart. She kind of looks marriage, the guy over. Pity, pity wife. Pit. No. Um, she looks at him, and then she looks down at the rocks she's been checking. And I'm not talking, like, little rocks. She's not skipping rocks. She's throwing, like... Chop pudding. Huge 
huge rock, like boulders that are liftable by a by a bear jaw. And she she looks at him and she goes, "If you can throw this rock further than me, then we will talk." And she picks up her rock and she flings it as far as she possibly can. She even rages just to get the extra bonus. It's a terrifying <laughs> sight. It's like a like a feral scream comes out of her body and her like teeth actually look like they have like elongated canines and her eyes get incredibly like glowy orange and she just flings that rock and it's like it sails quite a distance before it actually makes an impact and that impact is just like the man gives and then it she just looks at she looks at him and she looks down at the rock and is like hmm the man gives it a really solid try. It's a good throw. It's a good throw. It goes really far. It would it would win? It would win some number of at competitions. The at uh, the circus. But when at it the lands, fair. but when it lands, and it's without a doubt considerably shorter than meeting his goal. He just looks to Bearjaw and sort of looks down to his own feet and starts shuffling away. And she goes, and she raises her hand and she goes, do not hang your head in shame that you failed. Raise your head up and try harder next time. Oh. He takes a deep breath in and he looks back and he smiles and he nods and he says, I, I'll do that. Oh, oh. yes, yes. Yes. Maybe get to know a girl first. Slaps his flanks and saunters off with a bit more <laughs> confidence off. in his step. She nods her head and then she just looks at the rock and is just like shakes her head like a newborn with a baby. Disappointed look. A newborn baby is kept far away from Scrimcorn. No, a newborn baby <laughs> is named after one of the newcomers. Who's it named after? Inspiration Face die. I mean, Face die. So one, three, six, nine, and 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 Quillet are not part of this role. I yeah. would prefer personally. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not newcomers. So yeah. Well, yeah. how 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 long has Quillet been in town? Years, like Years. well over okay. a decade. Okay. Whoop. That's <gasps> true. Yes. Cutest little wizard ever. Oh, Cutest little, little baby wizard. This little baby. It's a gnome baby named Drustin, Drustin Green. Uh, they seek permission to name the child after the uh, after the wizard. Uh, Ooh, and ask for a blessing. And uh, and invites Drustin to uh, to. Um, to come and to sort of offer well wishes, to offer well wishes, and and uh, and and help celebrate the uh, the birth of a, a new gnome into the town. I of course, and um, he uh, gives them one of the jade figures that they'd found. It's on the quartermaster sheet. Oh, a specific uh, item. Oh, yeah. one of the ones in the citadel. It's one of the ones that's worth 4,000 gold, right? Yeah, yeah. 4,000 gold. Uh, As your birth gift, I will give you a murder mask. Uh, let's see. 
worked for me. Oh no! It's a beautiful jade male drow statue. <laughs> oh no! Well, it is. Is it, it naked? Is. I mean, the drow wow. are a matriarchal oh. society, so statues of male drow are as commonly nude as like statues of like Greek women. Of course, right? <laughs> Amazing. Yes, they're beautiful. A blessing, indeed. Dark it's like a, gratu- a gratuitously posed uh, <laughs> male naked the, drow. The sheltered city and sees that as a so world value as a relic culture, not at all the rating yeah. system that you might put in it if you were a parent. Where this guy's from? <laughs> I mean, this is totally normal. This is cool. I mean, Tristan likes the statue for a few reasons, but he gives it to them <laughs> just thinking like, oh, this will spark the little lad's curiosity in the outside world. Frenzy. And then like half a day later, he's like looking through some books and goes, oh, that was oh. inappropriate. <laughs> they named their baby after Justin Green because the family uh, the family always had dreams to be explorers to be travelers on the roads but their life paths didn't lead them there they uh, you know they were they were never able to set things up to make that possible and they made the decision to uh, to have a child and set in and and really Leave that, leave those dreams behind, and uh, and really just take pride in being here and doing what they do in Revel's Lift. But they said that they will, uh, they will never stop instilling that wonder of exploration and uh, and discovery of out there in the world. And they thought there's no better, no better uh, name than Justin add- Green after they had browsed the reliquary. Nice of adventure. Tristan's pretty happy about that. <laughs> and with that, we'll continue next week as we will move to the West Coast crew. Mock, Baron, Essen, Rumbar, and Aurora. And friends. Cool. We gotta figure out who's playing whom. I call Mock. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> I just want to be Snowbane's gift. All righty. You are the painting on the side. I want to the painting. I wiggle my uh, my balloon. Well, I like that they're staying up to date on what the Hammer of All Souls is doing by just looking at it.